Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. The NABC Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield. And now, your host, Tim Doyle. Welcome back to a new season of the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. I'm your host, Tim Doyle, and today we're joined by Purdue head coach, longtime friend. I was there at the beginning of his journey there in West Lafayette on the sidelines, Matt Painter. Coach, let's take a step back right now. Can you believe the journey that it's been for you? Now you've been the head coach of Purdue since 1971, it feels like. Can you believe you're in this position? (laughs) Very fortunate, very fortunate. Obviously when you are deciding about a school and, you know, you know, thinking about like where your future is, where I'm going to school, obviously you went and to a couple spots and, you know, and you, you pick Purdue and then all of a sudden you end up being the head coach there. Like it was really surreal for me. Um, but, you know, coach Katie and Morgan Burke and everybody really set it up and we weren't very good at the start and, and, and that was tough. Um, but, you know, we, we had Carl Landry and David Teague waiting on us and they really got us going. And then obviously with Chris Kramer, Keaton Grant, Robbie Hummel, Juwan Johnson, um, Etuan Moore. Um, we, we were able to get a start. I think that's one of the things when you get to a program, can you get it going? Can you start? There has to be a start somewhere. And those guys that I mentioned were obviously very good players. And then we've had some bumps in the road, but we've been able to um, kind of right the ship at time, kind of reshuffle at times and uh, get some consistency. And that's all we're trying to do now. We went to six straight NCAA tournaments. Then we didn't go to two. Now we went to six straight again. And then hopefully we can just kind of keep going and, and, and building off of that and just trying to be better at what we do. But it's a, it's a great setup. A lot of people don't realize, like, you know, Gene Katie and his impact. You're friends with Coach Katie. So, you know, I had a blueprint. You know, there's a lot of young coaches out there. We all copy from other people, but you still got to be yourself. And I think that's the way Coach Katie was. Like, he was able to take from, you know, the people that he had been around and his experience and build a great program here at Purdue. So we already had that blueprint, you know, from what he was able to do. And that's, you know, from an academic standpoint and a basketball standpoint and being in the state of Indiana where basketball's crazy, um, it's just a perfect mix here at Purdue. So I'm very fortunate, but I'm also just one piece of the puzzle. We're gonna dive into Coach Katie, his journey why he gives cash gifts at weddings, which you should only give cash gifts at weddings. Anybody (laughs) going forward that's given like salad bowls and stuff, stop today and move forward with the Coach Katie philosophy. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in the podcast, but talk about your own journey, right? You were an all Big Ten performer. I know it was honorable mention. I'm going to leave out the honorable mention part because I leave (laughs) out my honorable mention Big Ten. I just say all Big Ten. But you were a really good player at Purdue. And then life happens and you go, I want to be a coach. Talk about that journey right. and that foundation for you, where yeah. it all began. Yeah, well, the, for me, the honorable mention needs to be emphasized because I think it was just Coach. <laughs> I think it was just Coach Katie voting for me. Now, <laughs> as I've, I have voted for Big Ten teams now for 17, 16, 17 years, I realized the uh, the piece of like, how did this dude get honorable mention? Like, hey, hey, let, let's, not dive into, let's not dive into the logistics of it. I'm still living <laughs> up my honorable mention all Big Ten. Okay, so let's not dive into the actualities of it. There we go. No, it was something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to coach. I've always been enamored with the games, like sitting there, like in in your background, you have the book, the asphalt, you know, gods, I have that book at home. I've read about every single book there are, there is out there um, in basketball. I've always just been, 
you know, trying to pick up from other people, trying to steal from other people. Started working camps right away, yep. about three, four summers, just worked as many camps as possible, went division three, division two, got a low major job at age 25 at Eastern Illinois, which was very beneficial. Worked for a great guy and Rick Samuels, who was at Eastern Illinois the same 25 years um, that Coach Katie was at Purdue, which is kind of, you know, unique in, in, in that setting. But he was just a, a good mentor. Then I worked for Bruce Weber. Um, for five years at Southern Illinois. We had a lot of success. It was a great program before. They had struggled a little bit. We got it going. He obviously springboarded that into the Illinois job. I was fortunate to be the head coach at Southern Illinois then for one year, which was a great transition for us just because I was familiar with the school. I was familiar with our players. Uh -huh. We had success in one year. And then coming back to be, I always wanted to be Coach Katie's assistant. I tried to be his assistant like three times. He wouldn't hire you. He would not hire me and he was hired. And I'm not saying he's not right because I was awful young and awful green. And I liked my experiences that I had and that really helped me, but I always wanted to be his assistant. So coming back to be his assistant for one year as a head coach and waiting was pretty cool. We obviously struggled, um, but no, it, it, was, it was still pretty cool. I, I always was like when I'd go and speak places and I was like, you guys won't hire me as an assistant, but you'll hire me as a head coach. This doesn't make much sense, but um, I'm saying, yes, they could offer me anything, you know, they could have, and, uh, they could offer me any contract and I would have, I would have signed it. So it's, it's been a dream come true to be the head coach at Purdue. Well, and now you head into 2021, talk about how it just feels different. College basketball right. is off and running. There was an electricity to Tuesday's opening night, but as you, as a coach on the sideline, what does it feel like? Um, it's, a, it's obviously different last year. Like now you're getting back, you know, to normalcy. Um, the thing that with us, you know, we play, we scrimmage against Providence and, and, and we really don't play that well. And there's nobody there. Then we go into the exhibition game. We get outplayed again, even though we win by 24 points. We're just a much better team than they were. And they, and they just outplayed us. But our guys are like three for 10 from the free throw line, shooting air balls, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They just, the anxiousness was there. You know, we had a big freshman class last year. We were the youngest team in the Big Ten. And these guys have never played in front of anybody. And so then your freshmen and your sophomores have never played in front of anybody. So um, hopefully we've gotten some out of those jitters after this exhibition game and our first game. And, uh, but no, it's great to have people back. We're blessed at, at Purdue, as you know, to, uh, the crowds that we get, you know, we, we get, we, we sold out our exhibition game. We had the best crowd we've ever had. So I think there's a lot of people out there that are excited about Purdue basketball, but also just excited about basketball in general and, and getting out there and, and getting things back the way they were. Yeah. You talked about the baby boilers and I was a broadcaster at big 10 network when you had each one more and Robbie Hummel and Juwan Johnson, so you've been through this cycle before of having young teams and now having success. How do you manage kids and kids have changed since you played, since right. I played and nowadays, how do you manage those expectations? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a little bit different with each guy. Like, you know, some guys are, are very, very grounded. Some guys are aloof, um, immature, you know, don't quite get it yet. So getting them to carry out their assignment, um, sometimes it's difficult, but you've got to be able to reach them and talk to them about it, about just doing their job. And I know that's corny and that's coaches talk, but it's just true. Like if you can get nobody in our locker room, can't play like, you know, you just, right. you can't, can't play. I mean, like, like, why didn't, why are you here? 
Like, you know, that's my fault. Like it's my job to get the right people and the right players. So now you just got to make it work and you just got to communicate with them, but be honest with them in the recruiting process, be honest with them, you know, as you're going into the season, like just keep telling them the truth. And when you got to draw a hard line and you got to say things, you don't always have to say it in front of people. Like just pull them into a room and just start, you know, just explain to them like what's going on, watch film with them, say you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then that's going to affect it. And it's going to affect it either positively or negatively at that time. And so we just try to be as honest as we can and have one thought as a staff, like watch the film together, talk about things. And you're going to have assistants that don't always agree with what you're doing. But when you leave that film room, it's one thing. You don't have people, you know, branching off on your staff. You have everybody from your coaches to your support staff understand this is how we're teaching it. This is what we're doing. And you're going to have issues. And that's who really you got to get good players, but who can get good players and then work through your issues and then understand how these issues come about and then making them a positive. Because when you have adversity and you handle adversity the right way, you can really grow. Yeah, it's amazing how much you know. You talked about how many hats you wear. I mean, you're Dr. Yes. Phil, you're drawing X's and O's, you're like right. a, a marriage counselor with a team. Was it always like that? You know, and I know Coach Katie really well. <laughs> and I don't want to say that, you know, and obviously his rivalry against right. Coach Knight at Indiana was well documented. I didn't play for them, right? But I have a feeling that maybe right. they had a different style that you had today. What's right, that right. transition been like from playing for a certain coach, playing a certain way, and then realizing like, oh, man, things are changing. Kids are changing. Maybe yes. I have to change. And that, that's, you know, Rob Hummel always talks about the guy he played for is not coaching anymore at Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they'll take that as a compliment or a put down, but <laughs> probably a little bit of both. But I, I told him, you know, the people that don't adjust, you know, try to get your job. I go, because they're not coaching anymore. If you think right. you can do it that way, you know, and it's, boy, you're, you're better than I am because you, I, I just feel like, you know, you have to be able to communicate with guys um and, and just talk to him you know there's got to be some motivation in there and that's what coach katie was a genius about he had an unbelievable way how to rip you and tell you you're okay in the same sentence you like walk out of the room like like is he mad is he happy like like where am i here but it was just that kind of that balance that happy medium um but I, but i really took that from him his honesty and how straightforward he was. My delivery might be a little bit different um, at times, but I still have that in me. I think there has to be times, whether whether the rare instances or not, like to where like they need to know, like they need to know, like hey, this is unacceptable. You know, your behavior is unacceptable. Your efforts unacceptable. Following instructions, like you know, you they they have to understand the importance um of representing Purdue, going to class, doing what you're supposed to on the court. And when you do that collectively you know, you're going to have a lot of success if you, you know, have, if you have players, you got to have players. I, yeah. And, and, you know, one of the foundation players for Purdue when you started was Robbie Hummel. Correct. Know, and obviously what an amazing journey. He was one of those guys that you're like, you're still in college, right? Because he had those injuries <laughs> and there's yeah. always guys, right? Perry Ellis at Kansas. You're like, whoa, you're still in college. Like right. that was Robbie Hummel. And, you know, as you're talking and talking about what the program you built and all these years you've been at Purdue, I'm really the foundation of it. I, I just, I had this epiphany right now because I remember very vividly, I was out on a Friday night in Lincoln Park in Chicago, which I was known to do. I was 23 my junior year. Okay, so going into my senior year, I was about to be 24 years old. So I wake up in some random place and I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta get back to Evanston. We have morning workout. 
So not sure if this is going to be edited out of the NABC podcast, but I want to tell a story. <laughs> so I, I take the L back to Evanston. And, you know, at that time, you can still smoke at the bars. So like my hair is still, you know, whatever. I'm a mess. And I get out on the court and Robbie Hummel is my matchup. And obviously he played a lot better than I did that morning. And so I went into Bill Carmody's office, who's the head coach of Northwestern. I said, you know, this guy kind of plays the same position as me, but man, it'd be awesome to get. He goes, Tim, that guy's 15. I go, that guy's 15 years old. I go, he's unbelievable. So yeah. he comes in the locker room and I not thinking, I am just kind of changing next thing you know, maybe I'm wearing a towel, maybe I'm not. And I'm trying to engage with Robbie Hummel on why Northwestern's a great school and a great program and how you'd be an amazing fit. And now years later, him and I have become good friends. And he goes, I just want to let you know, you scared the heck out of me talking to me in the <laughs> locker room with just a towel on and sometimes not wearing a towel at all. He goes, that made my decision to go to Purdue so much easier. So you want to know something, Coach Painter? I've never heard an official thank you, so I'll take one right now. Hey, any help we can get. <laughs> Your coaching tree is crazy when, you know, I look at it because I was there from the start and how many different assistants Went right. on to other jobs, probably best known, maybe Quanzo Martin, but there's been Paul Lusk and so on and so forth. What does that feel like as a head coach to watch your assistants kind of take flight? Yeah, well, it's been great, you know, and that's what we, you know, we try to do. I, you know, I give them a lot of responsibility and we break things up here, but no, it's, it's been fabulous to see them get their own opportunities and have success and, you know, and move on in the business, you know, with Paul, he was at Missouri state for seven years, then at Creighton as assistant for three. Now he's back with us again. So that's been fun to have him back on the staff. And obviously Conzo Martin's had a lot of success at, you know, Tennessee and, and Cal and now Missouri. So um, Missouri state also. So he's, he's had success every place that he's been. We have a lot of other guys. We just had two guys just leave and Steve Lutz and, and Micah Shrewsbury, great Gary left a couple of years before that. So just seeing those guys get out there, but also it's, it's part of the, I think the brand of Purdue, uh -huh. I think when you see the balance of, you know, the academics and the success that we've had in basketball and then the way that we've handled, you know, our program and how we've, really done things the right way. I think a lot of times people weren't rewarded for that. You know, you shouldn't get rewarded for like doing the right thing. It's what you're supposed to do, but it's cool as a head coach to see the guys that have really, nobody knows about, like, you know, we've all in this business have been an assistant. You're like, you're like, Hey man, I have really affected this game today. And not one person's talking about you as an assistant. It's like, you know, Micah Shrewsbury last year, like, you know, he had, you know, his, his prints all over this program. And like, you leave the game, like, Hey, coach painter, man, you've done a great job or whatever. This guy's over like a maestro, you know, just carving people up and Steve Lutz and Jack Owens and the guys that have handled the defense have, you know, done some really good things for us. And those guys really affected, you know, winning, you know, in our program, but you don't get any credit. So now it's great to see those guys really branch out and, and get their own jobs. But I, I look at it also as, as the brand that we have. I, th I think Purdue has a great brand across the board, um, blue collar, tough, hard nosed. And I think when people look at it, we have some hurdles at Purdue at a high major level, not maybe as many as high, high academic guys. See, we're a state school, so we have some elite majors, but we also have it to where, you know, there's, this is still from education standpoint, a lot of people will come here to teach communications, you know, so we have a very broad, you know, uh, smorgasbord of academic choices that you can get to. So you can get a lot of different guys. You can get somebody who wants to get into engineering. We have a freshman now that wants pre-med, but then you'll have somebody who just, you know, is, 
wants general studies or just wants something because they haven't figured it out yet what they actually want. And a lot of them want to play in the league, right? And so it's like a balance of what you have, academics and basketball. And so I think when they see some of those hurdles, well, what do you have at a low to mid-major job? Like Shrewsbury just got a high major job. That's rare. Everybody else is getting low to mid-major jobs. Right. Well, what do they want? They, they have hurdles. They have hurdles with their budget. They have hurdles in their league. They have hurdles in travel. And so like now you take those high level elite programs and those assistants that have been there for 10 years, they don't have those hurdles. And so now they got to go mid-major and they got to deal with things. And they'll be like, well, we need this. We need this. We need this. We need this. I tell every one of those guys, like when you get there, don't be that guy. You know, say, this is what I need before you take the job. Then when they give it to you, now don't go back in that AD's office, get to work, get to work and, and do your job, but learn to deal with some of those hurdles. And I think that's why a lot of people really struggle at jobs because they always think they need more. Well, that's the way it is at that job. That's why you took it and make the most of it and have success. And you talked about wants for student athletes in West Lafayette. When I used to go down to West Lafayette, the only thing I wanted was Harry's Chocolate Shop. And if you don't know, <laughs> look up Harry's. And it was that fantastic nights there. So you want to something that it's underrated, the downtown West Lafayette. Coach, you're an important voice behind the scenes in college basketball, serving on the NABC Board of Directors and the NCAA Men's Basketball Oversight Committee. Committee. Why is it important to you to serve the game you love so much in these roles? Well, I think, you know, trying to make it better, you know, it's, you know, coach Katie always says, you know, you know, leave it better than you found it. Uh -huh. you know, everything that you do, whether it's a job, it's a locker room on the road, you know, leave things better than you found it. And for us, you know, this is a tough time. Like I just be frank about it. like Conzo and I are the two coaches that represent all the other coaches on the oversight committee and other coaches will call me about stuff. And I won't have good answers for him. I'll be like, we're fighting this. We're doing this. In, in what ways? More mentally or emotionally or physically? Well, or you what? know, with the one-time transfer, like, yeah. you know, Conzo's a high major coach. I'm a high major coach, but we've both been at mid-majors. And I just don't have good answers sometimes. You know, kids don't grow up wanting to go to a low-major school. Kids grow up and they want to go to high-major schools. Uh -huh. So now you have this influx of change. And so you have like when guys go to a program and they don't play or they struggle, they transfer, right? They transfer. Well, now everybody transfers. If you do bad, you transfer. If you do mediocre, you transfer. If you do great, you transfer. Well, who stays? Like, how are you supposed to build a program? And they think it's like, okay, like all these guys are like grabbing people and they're like, oh, he's a junior. He's 21. This guy's like, you're 23, 24 years old playing college basketball, but you've got to have an experience of having success together. Like that's the whole thing. That's a game. Like we could just like take out Wisconsin and how they've played here in the last 25 years. They had great experience of playing together, but they built that, you know, it wasn't a jigsaw puzzle that they put together. In the you, you, think, you think we'll ever get back to that? See that, that like, as you're talking about it, like you talked about the adjustment as a coach, but right. you know, you think there's potential to get back to that going forward? Well, it just started. And so like, you're going to have to, take in some data here for three, four or five years, uh -huh. but let's just take the fifth year grad transfer that happened 10 years ago. It was made by the presidents. It was an academic move. Uh -huh. You were, you were supposed to leave one school and go to another because it didn't offer you a master's program at that school. Right. And it was an academic move and it is not an academic move. It's a basketball move. And 10 years later, they're graduating at a 31 to 32% clip. Those people that come over to get their master's. The numbers say it's not an academic move, but yet they haven't corrected it. 
So now here we are with the one-time transfer. And what they relate it to is all the other sports, they're able to do it. So now why shouldn't they? So let's have that consistency with all those other sports. And I understand them in theory, what they're saying. Uh -huh. But in reality, we have a different sport. Our sport is different than, not better. Our sport is different. You know, we have leagues that are, that are now recruiting high school kids to come and, and play right away that we really don't know what the effects of that will be. Right. You know, we have players that will skip a year to go internationally to play. You know, and that was a little bit of it. We had, you know, three or four guys do it couple years ago and they're saying well if they're going to go over there we might as well be able to keep them here so we have the g league ignite so we have that we have all those avenues you know for guys and a lot of other sports don't have that so so we're different there we can leave after our first year in college and, and go to the draft so that's a little bit different also so we have some differences that are in there but i just you know the ncaa tournament is north texas beating purdue right the NCAA tournament is Davidson going on that run and almost getting to the final four with Steph right. Curry. And we can keep going on and on about all that. It's what makes it, you know, you're on a neutral court, you're great teams, but those great mid-major teams normally grow into that. And they're normally junior and senior dominant. And they've been there for three, four or five years. And that's what makes it special. That makes March Madness special. Now, are those teams going to the final four? Not very much. You know, you have your George Masons, you have your BCUs, you have the things, you know, in 79 Penn and Indiana State go. And so you have those instances where they go, but that's what it is. It makes it special. And that's what the fans love. So how are those low to mid-major teams supposed to grow if their guys are always coming and going? And they're all, you know, they're like picking up a team. It's like slow pitch softball. They're picking up a team in the spring every year. Hey, this was great. We had a great year. Well, half your team just graduated and the other half just transferred. You know, now what do you do? And now they look at you and say, hey, well, you're not very good. You guys were great last year. What's he supposed to do? What's that coach supposed to do? And I don't have good answers for that. Yeah, if, so you, had, if you had one change that you could implement that you think would be a good fix, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, you know, because when you talk about like, you're going pro or going right. to college, but once you go to college, right, there's other sports Hey, you go to college, like you got to right. stay in college, like you got to work towards your degree. We all know right. the one and done rule right now. It's a half a semester. If you're a two semester university, that's all you have to graduate to stay eligible to play. So yeah. um, what would be something that you see would be something that would be a, a sign in the right direction? Right. Well, the, the thing is, just think of this when you're 17, 18, 19 years old, if, if your parents allowed you to do what you wanted to do, I know I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Right. And so like we're, we're getting towards letting people do what they want to do instead of doing what's best for them to grow. And like, I grew up a diehard Indiana fan. I didn't like Purdue. I didn't like anything about it. And my dad like opened my eyes. My mom and dad opened my eyes to like the success of Purdue and what they've done. And they're Indiana fans, but like Gene Cady and his discipline and all that, that's, you know, they just more or less said, you know, you need him more than he needs you. And when you get recruited, that's hard to swallow because you feel so good about yourself because all right. these people are coming to, to recruit you. I would like what I wanted on a guardrail of the one time transfer was not allow them to use that after their freshman year. We're all mad after our freshman year. I was. I transferred St. Yeah. John's to Northwestern. Yeah, I, was, I, I agree. I had the I averaged 0.4, you know, but I, you know, I, I stuck it out because I made the right choice. Right. And it worked for me. But I also lined myself with people. And that's what I really try to talk to them about is saying like, 
I'm the head coach at Purdue because I got Gene Cady, I got Bruce Weber, I got Tom Ryder, I got Steve Lavin, I got Frank Kendrick, all the people that were at Purdue that are trying to help me. And when you leave places and you're always jumping around, you're loyal to no one. You're loyal to no one. Like, who have you been loyal to? Why should someone go and help you when you played for three schools in four years or four schools in five years? And this is all set up. And so whenever they people fall at Purdue in the last 40, 50 years, whatever it is, Coach Katie and myself being here, we pick up the pieces and try to help them. You know, and, and that's a basketball family. That's what you're doing. So I, I just, I don't understand. We have a culture of change. In basketball, you got guys playing for six AAU teams in seven years. You got two high schools, then a prep school. You got three colleges. Well, what does the real world look like when you get out there and you don't make it? See, they you make these decisions, and, and sometimes you're talking about the elite of the elite, that they don't count. They're elite. Like I always talk about Glenn Robinson. Like Glenn Robinson could have played bat, college basketball on the moon, and he'd have been the number one pick. Like he was that good. Did Purdue help him? Sure, Purdue helped him. No doubt about it. Did we have a great coaching staff? Yes. But he was that special. Chris Weber was that special. And so, like, don't worry about that as much as now it's the lower rung guys. Like, we got top 100 guys, and it doesn't mean they can't make it and develop because that's their dream. But the percentages say they're not. So from an education standpoint, we go to a one-time transfer. So you're saying that our graduation rates, our graduation rates in the last 10 years for men's basketball student athletes has increased. But African-American men's basketball student athletes has skyrocketed. The NCAA has done a great job with it. So that was my question to them. With this rule, do you think those two things are going to get better or worse? You know, I think in the numbers wise, there's no doubt that they're going to get worse. Now, how much will they plummet? I don't know that. But time's going to really tell here about this. But who can pick up the pieces for them? And, and, and what it gets to is, like, where are you from? Like, if you're from a lower socioeconomic background and something goes awry and now you haven't been loyal to anybody, because, like, the opportunities you have to play major college basketball and align with the staff and have that loyalty, you got those people helping you the rest of your life. You got the brand of Northwestern helping you the rest of your life. You got the brand of Purdue, but you also have the people that you've played for that can be there to help you. But sometimes myself, I have my family that can help me. Like, you know, I mean, people in my family have went to college through the years from my parents to grandparents and great grandparents and on down the line. Well, you get someone who's now doesn't have those financial resources, never met their dad, no one in their families went to college. Now they went to three or four schools. They didn't make it as a pro. They didn't get their degree. Where do they go? And that's that's really my fight. Like, let's, let's think about everybody in here and let's not do what these guys want to do. Let's do what's best for them. Uh, last two things for you. And we appreciate the time. We're here at Matt Painter, head coach of Purdue. You're very active in the Coaches vs. Cancer program. What does it mean to you personally to help that cause? Yeah, just trying to get awareness as much as possible, mm -hmm. you know, especially for screening. Um, you know, breast cancer awareness, my wife has breast cancer. And so she's been going through, you know, a lot of that. And she's been very, very active um, in, in just trying to bring the awareness to our community. But just especially at this time with the screening, because a lot of people 
you know, were in their house and not getting out and rightfully so because of COVID. And so like from a flu standpoint, like you look at different things and like, you're like, man, this is, you know, who got their flu shot this year? Were we only worried about COVID? Well, this is something that's, you know, this is the big enchilada, you know, cancer. And so you got to do anything and everything from a screening standpoint and the awareness to get people to understand, hey, you got to get your checkups, you got to do what you're supposed to. And so we can knock this down. That's uh, an amazing cause. My wife has been an oncology nurse for 16 years. So it's a special place in the, the Doyle household as well. And, you know, you've watched me on my own journey. It's been pretty amazing from playing against you to broadcasting. And now as a dad and yesterday went to the post office and I mailed out my uh, cool card because I bought a minivan. Look at my life coach. I mean, what has happened to me? Like I walked <laughs> out of there. I was like, yes, I got the new Pacifica. Okay. But I want to show you something and I want, the first thing that comes to mind, if you're listening to this, I'll explain what it is, all right? So when I put this up here and you see this sign, what do you think about? It says, Tim Doyle, the best hair in the Big Ten. What's the first thing that comes to mind, okay? Hey, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is when you hit that three that rattled in at Purdue and, and, and swooped your hair and did the shimmy shake like Mark Jackson. Like that, I was like, man, we're getting beat by Northwestern. Tim Doyle's hitting a three, which you didn't hit a lot of three. <laughs> and then you shimmy shake like Mark Jackson. I was like, man. I'm was that a low? Was that a low point? Was I that like thought, it was like you went back home and you went, ah, maybe this coaching thing is not for me. <laughs> I, I I'd, I'd be doing driver's ed in the summer and teaching third grade, or maybe State Farm Insurance. I thought one of them was coming my way. I, I, it, it didn't look up. It was really smart. I was coming there. You were sticking it to us. Southern Illinois, you know, winning like 50 games. <laughs> and I said, I'm the biggest fool in the world. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much. We learned a lot here. Cash gift at weddings. I'm the cause of Robbie Hummel going to Purdue. We appreciate your insight into the NCAA. And thank you all out there for tuning into the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. We'll be here each and every week. If not, we're here every month. We're going to be talking to coaches around the country. Coach Painter, Purdue, thanks so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tim.